0: Good morning and welcome to Naples United Church of Christ here in Naples, Florida. My name is Dawson Taylor and I have the privilege of serving as senior minister. Don't worry... It's okay. You're still going to experience worship as we normally do it on Sunday mornings, but we're trying a few different things with our words of welcome and some other parts of worship. And so we I wanted to welcome you, and no matter how you're worshiping with us, live stream, Facebook Live, or if you download our audio podcast later in the week, We're grateful for all of the ways that we are able to worship together. And if you are a father or a grandfather or like a father to someone, I want to especially wish you a very happy Father's Day. I'm grateful to have my colleague, Reverend Dr. Sharon Harris Ewing, our assistant minister with us today, while David and Deb have the Sunday off together this weekend couple of announcements that I want to make sure that you are aware of. I hope that you are able to join us immediately after worship today for our virtual gathering place. Uh, this will be the third week that we've had those. And they've really been a lot of fun to be able to connect with people. Uh, no matter if you're up north here in Naples, it's just been wonderful to see everyone. There is a button that uh, is in the e-blast that you should have received last night in your uh, email from the church. But if you didn't receive that email, or if you don't see the button, feel free to call the church right now or during worship, and Chelsea or Wendy will uh, help you out. We will need to get your name, email, and phone number so that we can send you that information, but we'll be happy to do that during worship so that you can join us immediately after for our virtual gathering place. We've had a wonderful uh, series of sacred conversations about race and privilege. And so I want to invite you this week on Wednesday at 5 p.m. The clergy team will be back together and we'll be beginning a book study on the book How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi. Uh, We'll be studying the introduction through chapter 3 Now, one of the things that is challenging about the book is that it's in such demand during these times that the publisher is um, out of the physical copies of the book. We had uh, earlier arranged through our distributor to get copies, but then that fell through. We are still working to do that. You can download the book for digital purposes, Kindle, iPad, or I'm listening to it right now on Audible. But uh, again, we hope to be able to get some physical copies uh, to make available. But for now, uh, we recommend those other ways. And so again, the introduction through chapter three for this Wednesday and the clergy round table. And we hope that you'll uh, join us for these important sacred conversations. So in the spirit of all the great things that this congregation does, let us as a mission-driven congregation center our hearts and minds as we prepare for worship this morning. Will you join your hearts with mine in prayer? Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we continue to give you thanks for the gift of this day. And we trust, O God, that in this time of worship that you will speak either through me or in spite of me. But that above all else, we will hear with clarity what it is that you say to us this day. We ask this in your many names. Amen. Black Bart. Was a professional thief whose very name struck fear as he terrorized the Wells Fargo stage line. From San Francisco to New York, his name became synonymous with the danger of the frontier. Between 1875 and 1883, he robbed 29 different stagecoach crews. Amazingly though, Bart did it without ever firing a single shot. He did it through hiding his face and no victim ever seeing his face. He never took a hostage was never trailed by a sheriff. Instead, Black Bart used fear to paralyze his victims. His sinister presence was enough to overwhelm the toughest stagecoach guards. Black Bart's intimidating impact on others reminds me of the story about the two little boys whose mother asked them to chase out the chicken snake from the hen house. They looked everywhere for the snake but couldn't find it. The more they looked, the more afraid they became until finally when they did find it and they fell all over themselves running out of the chicken house. Don't you know a chicken snake won't hurt you? Their mother asked. Well, yes, ma'am, one of the boys answered, but there are some things that will scare you so bad that you will hurt yourself. Fear is a terrible thing, is it not? It reminds me of the award winning film The Shawshank Redemption and what that work says about fear. Fear can hold you prisoner. Hope can set you free. In the most recent Chapman University Survey of American Fears, researchers asked a random sample of 1,190 adults from across the country to rate their level of fear on 94 separate items from public speaking to nuclear meltdown. Here are the top 10. 73.6% fear corrupt government officials. 61.6% fear pollution of oceans, rivers, and lakes. 60.7% fear pollution of drinking water. 57% fear not having enough money for the future. 56.5% fear people I love becoming seriously ill. 56.4% fear people I love dying. 55.1% fear air pollution. 54.1% fear the extinction of plant and animal species. 53.2% fear global warming and climate change. 52.9% fear high medical bills. Frankly, after reading the entire list of 94 items, I found entirely new things to be afraid of. Fear can hold you prisoner. Hope can set you free. This morning, let's first acknowledge that fear actually can play a positive role in our lives. There are things in life that are legitimately fearful. We need that built-in voice that tells us, don't go there, danger is lurking. We want our children and grandchildren, nieces, nephews, to fear running into the road without looking both ways. Fear often keeps us from doing dumb and destructive things. Some years ago, a research psychologist, Dr. Irving Jarvis, was looking and examining surgery in hospitals and asking questions about people's recovery from surgery and the place that fear played in their their recovery. What he discovered may seem to us in the end to be quite simple or obvious, but it's really important. What he discovered was this, those who had crippling fears did not do well in recovery. Actually, they did not do well at all. But interestingly, he also discovered that those who had no fear of the surgery didn't recover well either. Dr. Jarvis learned that those, for those patients, when trouble hit, they were thrown for a loop. The unexpected pain, for example, completely floored them. They had not thought about it, and they weren't prepared. But those who had enough fear to ask the right questions, to say, now what's going to happen, and and how long will the pain last? They were the ones that recovered best. So fear can play a positive role in our lives. If nothing else, fear sometimes teaches us to depend and rely on God. God. Most of us have short memories. We go along living our lives as if we are in control of the universe and then something traumatic happens, something that we cannot handle on our own. And it is at times like that that we reach out for God. Yes, fear can play a healthy role in our lives, but it's that gripping, paralyzing fear that I often worry about. The kind of fear that keeps us frozen in place or from saying, I love you, for the fear of rejection. Or the kind of fear that causes us to withdraw from someone who is different. There was a Navy man who dreamed of writing stories for the movies. He wrote a a screenplay about the naval hero, John Paul Jones. He sent that screenplay to Julia West, who at that time was the story editor for Paramount Pictures. She rejected it. Later, the writer told Julia West how disappointed he felt from that rejection. He came to see, though, that fear could be a paralyzer. He also learned through that experience that the best way to overcome the fear is to go on with determination to succeed. In March of 1933, that same writer spoke to our nation. Franklin Delano Roosevelt inspired our nation that year by saying, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. but I don't have to tell you about fear in these times, do I? I don't have to tell you about paralyzing fear, the kind of fear that makes you cry out to God and ask, why have you forsaken me? Be it the fear of becoming ill or perhaps worse someone you love becoming ill. Or perhaps it is the fear of financial hardship in the midst of recession, or the fear of uncertainty of where you stand in the world when people are literally marching in the streets. Or maybe it's a a new diagnosis, or the aching loneliness, or the grief over the loss, or the uncertainty. And the list goes on, and on, and on. To deny fear as a part of our lives is to deny the truth of our living. But as people of faith, we must not let fear have the last word. We do not have to be paralyzed by fear. Instead, we can have faithful fear. We can acknowledge the reality of our fear just as we can acknowledge the reality of God at work in our lives. In our scripture reading this morning, Jesus uses the analogy of tiny sparrows. In the eyes of the ancient world, a sparrow was inexpensive and monetarily worthless. The writer of the Gospel of Matthew has two sparrows being sold for one penny. And Jesus concludes by saying, so do not be afraid... You are worth more than many sparrows. Early in the spring of 1905, Sevilla Martin and her husband were spending time in Elmira, New York. They developed a close friendship with a couple by the name of Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle. Mrs. Doolittle had been bedridden for nearly 20 years. Her husband was also confined to a wheelchair. Despite their afflictions, they lived happy and content lives, reported Sevilla Martin, bringing inspiration and and comfort to all who knew them. One day, while the Martins were visiting with the Doolittles, Sevilla's husband commented on their bright hopefulness and asked them the secret of it. Mrs. Doolittle's response was simple. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. The beauty of that simple expression of faith gripped Sevilla Martin, and she wrote a poem And mailed it the very next day to Charles Gabriel, who put it to music. Singer Ethel Waters made the resulting song famous. So famous that she used its name as the title of her autobiography. And we heard Pam's beautiful rendition earlier in our worship service. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. My friends, we do not have to be paralyzed by fear. Instead, we are people who are loved by a God who loves so deeply that God weeps when we weep and laughs when we laugh. We are loved by a God so deeply that God counts the hairs on our head.